God bless these readings to you all. First reading is taken from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received, Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. The second reading is taken from 8 Deuteronomy, verses 1 to 19. Do not forget the Lord. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forebears. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your hearts that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord, your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land where wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and you are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fires and build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, the thirsty and waterland land, but its venomous snakes and scorpions He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, 
something that your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will be surely destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. So good morning and welcome to our new spring and summer series, which will be on the prophet and uh, the book of Habakkuk. It's a small book, uh, so we'll probably be finishing the series in three or four months. And this morning, we will be setting the scene. Uh, who's heard of the American speaker Chuck Missler? Yeah, a few. So I'm, I'm, I'm not... Uh, he, about 10 years ago, he gave a message about the predicament of the United States of America and uh, the rise and fall of nations. And he has a clip about the research done on the cycle of nations. And I want to play it, but as a disclaimer, Chuck has uh, now died. Uh, he's with the Lord. And in his last years, he was, I think it's fair to say, pessimistic about the future of the United States based off his understanding of the data. Well, I'm not wanting to focus on that at all, or his understanding of the end times. Uh, so I don't know if that relieves you or, or, or depresses you, but that's what we're not where we're going this morning. This morning's message has got nothing to do with the USA, or even uh, a lot about New Zealand. There will be a little comment on that at the end. But rather, it, we're going to focus on what he says about the cycle of nations. He quotes a, some scholars, and particularly one scholar who wrote a fascinating book on the cycle of nations in 1770 and this is going to set the scene my friends for Judah in the time of Habakkuk so I want you to tune in particularly to the cycle of nations so with any further ado let's play life cycle of nations it's interesting how that has been studied and studied and studied through the centuries and the conclusions are pretty much identical uh, Alexander Tyler back in 1770 published the cycle of democracy, and we'll, we'll dwell on his model in a minute. Edward Gimmon, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, classic, most of you are familiar with. Um, Toynbee's study of history back in 34, and Jode in 36, and then uh, Jim Nelson Black, when nations die in 1994. The, what's interesting, if you study each of these, you'll discover the conclusions are quite consistent. No surprises, pretty straightforward. I'll use Jim Black's summary as the summary of all of them. There's social decay, which is usually a crisis of lawlessness. That's different than breaking the law, the fact that the laws are ineffectual. The loss of economic discipline and rising bureaucracy. These things seem painfully familiar, don't they? Sounds like it's out of an editorial of today's newspaper. Uh, cultural decay, the decline of education. It's astonishing to discover that the decline of education is not accidental or mismanagement, it's by design. Well, I hope you don't believe that and check it out. You have to for that yourself. The weakening of cultural foundations, the loss of respect for traditional values. It's amazing to discover how the Bible from cover to cover admonishes, it said, don't move the ancient landmark. And it's not talking about property landmark, it's an idiom 
a metaphor for much broader commitments, that there's a, there's a comfort, a, a stability and tradition that is, that is constructive. And the loss of respect for traditional values accompanies the fall of nations. And of course, the real root of all of this is moral decay. The rise of immorality. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we go. The decay, of course, of religious belief of whatever kind. And the uh, devaluing of human life goes along with this. These are fundamentals that, the, uh, that authors have noted throughout the centuries. Alexander Tyler speaks of the cycle of nations in a way that I think is so descriptive I, I just have to indulge in it. People start in bondage, and while in bondage they attain some measure of spiritual faith. That spiritual faith leads to courage. And from that courage they can attain at least some level of liberty. And that liberty then leads to abundance. That's a pattern. And that certainly is the profile of America. It did, it, the, the, the liberty there led to an abundance that became the envy of the world. Watch out for that. Watch out for envy. It's dangerous. From that abundance what happens? Well, you pretty soon get to complacency. And from that complacency it degenerates into apathy. And I'm, I'm fond of quoting this. I go down the street in America and ask somebody, what do you think the biggest problem is in America? Is it, is it uh, ignorance or is it uh, apathy? And he'll say, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> and of course that apathy then leads to dependency. Go online, you can uh, get that and watch the, his entire clip. But I just wanted to take his take of Alexander uh, Tyler. So the, the cycle of nations, this was written uh, actually in 1770 and the, and the scholar was studying ancient Greek democracies uh, and ancient societies and looking at studying hundreds of them about the, how they were built up and what was uh, collapsed them and then he came up uh, with that cycle. You won't find that in today's uh, education classes I, I, for whatever reason but it's, it's uh, fascinating uh, and I may have a couple of comments on that at the end. And the Bible hints at the truthfulness of this model. Uh, so what I want to do this morning is just three things as we set the scene for Habakkuk. Firstly, I had that uh, second reading from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now that reading was of Moses, is almost Moses' farewell speech before the Jewish people entered the promised land. And in that reading of Deuteronomy chapter 8, it actually goes through the cycle of Israel's nation about, and it gives the warning <laughs> about when they get the wealth. Right? It, it, it lays it clear what Israel has to watch out for before they entered in. And so we're going to have a look at uh, the cycle of nations, that model, uh, through um, uh, the, Israel's history. Then secondly, this morning we're going to place Habakkuk. Where was Habakkuk on that clock? And where was his ministry and, and how did that take place? And before, uh, finally, I'll just give a brief comment about New Zealand and us today uh, in, in humility. Only the Lord knows the future. Uh, so, so the second reading speaks about the cycle of nations. It was, Deuteronomy was written that the Israelites, uh, if you're thinking of the bondage, what was the bondage they had come out of when they were in the wilderness? What was the bondage they were in before that? Slavery in Egypt. Well done. You know your Bible story. And so that there was this, like, they were there for several centuries. And then Moses came and he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Right. And you know that. And so then the Israelites, uh, through a power of God's mighty hand, were freed from that slavery. So they entered the wilderness. But 
they lacked two key ingredients. You know this story. This is stuff that you know in your Bible story off by heart if you're a Christian who's read your Bible. You know they lacked courage and they lacked faith. And time and time again, the bondage that was in their heart in, in Egypt came out. And so they, no matter how many miracles they saw, they lacked faithful, of trust in God's faithfulness and God's ability to deliver. And they lacked courage. And one, there's many key moments, but one key moment was when they had the spies entering the promised land. And the sp- 10 of the spies came back. And what was the report? Someone want to tell me the Bible story. What did they say? There is giants in the and, and we can't go in. You know the story. And then Joshua and Caleb said, maybe, but we've got God on our side. We should surely take the land. And Israel, did they side with Joshua or Caleb, or did they side with the 10, 10, uh, ten other spies? That's, all right, they sided with the 10 spies. And that whole generation died in the wilderness. So they, they died there in bondage. But then there was a new generation. Right, Joshua and Caleb were still around, uh, but the children of that faithless generation, they grew in spiritual faith, and they had courage. And if you read Joshua's statements, it's all about courage, be bold, be courageous. We're going to cross over the river, and we're going to take this land, and you see this courage uh, that was through the whole Israelites, and so they entered the promised land, and they are able to take a, a, poor, a, a significant chunk of it, and a degree of liberty and abundance came upon the Israelites. And then after that, after that, Caleb and Joshua's generation passed on, a new generation of Israel came up with complacency and apathy and dependency and bondage. You see this again and again in the book of Judges where there would be the cycle in action where God would raise up judges like Gideon or Deborah or Samson and the people would have courage. They'd go out there and defeat the enemy. Then they would forget the Lord their God with the wealth and success they had. And then they would go into bondage with the Philistines. And then they would cry out to God, oh God, save us. Spiritual faith. Then God would raise up a leader of courage. They'll get liberty, abundance, and around and around they went. The last cycle before Habakkuk of this was the Assyrian invasion. It took out and totally destroyed. By that time, there were two kingdoms. After Solomon, you know this, the kingdom was split into Israel in the north. And what was the southern kingdom's name? Judah in the south. And then in those two divided kingdoms, the Assyrians wiped out the Israelites. And Judah was under huge bondage and pressure from the Assyrians. Hezekiah had given a lot of treasure to the Assyrians. He was in bondage. He was in fear. But when the Assyrians were invading again, he reached out to God. The prophet Isaiah was around at that time. There was spiritual faith and courage. With that courage, Hezekiah built Hezekiah's tunnels, which you can discover today, Hezekiah's walls, and he rebuilt the army. And the, the Assyrians were defeated through an act of God's miracle. And as soon as Hezekiah defeated them, there was liberty and abundance. The treasure of the nations came into Israel. And, Israel and, and at the top, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's not actually a complacency that's the fall. It's pride, actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. That's the dependence on one's own wealth. We have achieved this wealth and status by our own hands, without any need for a superstitious beliefs. This is the key moment of the turning point for a decline. And so Hezekiah had pride and his children came up and then down they went. And so you get to see this, this, this cycle again and again. 
So in Deuteronomy, the key word is not apathy or complacency, they're good words, but pride, believing by one's own efforts. So Deuteronomy chapter 8 carries with it this exclamation. If God blesses you with wealth, if he blesses you with some degree of success, do not think that by your own efforts you have achieved that. It is the providential hand of God, and do not forget the Lord your God. A nation or a person who does is surely in sooner or later for the downward slide. So this cycle actually it works for nations, but actually I've also, as a pastor, I've noted this has worked at individuals. I want to say about models, there's actually a British statistician who said, no model is, is correct, but some models are useful. So this model is, is a simplified version. You had your look in the in and outs, it's always a bit, history is a bit more quirky, and it doesn't work perfectly for any individual, but it is useful. So you could think of a Kiwi person, grows up in New Zealand, and as often as many Kiwi families today, a non-Christian family, the family's into hedonism, parties, alcohol, and so the person grows up in that environment, and there he is, or she, doesn't matter which, which, which sex, they, he, enters the, he or she enters their 20s, partying, alcohol, things like this. This becomes, this dependency becomes an enslavement. They become addicted to alcohol or casual sexual relationships or drugs or whatever. And then I've seen some of these individuals, they enter their late 20s, and they say, surely there's more to life than this. There's some sense of spiritual awakening that happens. They meet some Christian friends and are saying, I'm seeing you living a different life. You have a joy in your life. Or perhaps they go to the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings where they, where they discover that they need a need for a higher power. And they discover the only higher power that will free them is Jesus Christ. That spiritual faith leads them to faith in Christ they have the spirit-filled courage to break addictions off their life and live a new life. They come into the liberty of walking with Jesus. And then that leads to abundance. I've seen sometimes after that lifestyle, they marry, they have children, they join a church, they're a part of the whole thing, and then they enter their 30s and 40s and 50s. It's complacency. I've achieved this. They start dropping out of church. It's small, subtle stuff that takes place. Apathy for spiritual things. They have lost their first love of Jesus Christ. Never lose your love of Christ. And then suddenly, often things of midlife crisis dependency. And I've seen Christians who've come out of the deepest darkness in their 40s and 50s walk all away from it and right back into the world. And here's this. Sometimes when they're at the bondage in their 60s or 70s, when I've actually met them, and late in life, they recall the bondage, they recall the freedom in Christ, and then getting sucked back in in their midlife. And in their last years, the spiritual faith is quickening in their heart again. And they turn to Christ. That cycle can work it's, it's, it, with, with individuals as well. And so, first, this is what we want to look at. First, we had a look at the cycle of nations in relation to Israel's history. Secondly, we're now going to place Habakkuk's ministry and the book of Habakkuk in this cycle. If you were guessing, where do you think Habakkuk would be on this clock? Does anyone want to make one guess? Where do you think he was born to? You think he was born in the abundance? What's, any, any guesses? Five? I heard? I think that's... Sorry? Bondage? Getting, I think very close. I think... When you have a look, he was at the time just before bondage, just before the Babylonian invasion. So his ministry, he had lived during the time of the abundance at the top, 
And he was seeing his nation turn against God, the complacency, the apathy, the rejection. He was seeing the decline of the moral values. And this was his ministry. And God was going to say, and find this later in Habakkuk, that yes, uh, God was going to bring the Babylonians and there was going to be enslavement. So if I was to choose uh, his, his ministry, it was 5.59 on the clock. One minute before six, before the Babylonian invasion swept them away. And that was the season. And you get to see this in his heart, right? And so you get to see it in the words. Let's, I'm going to read that passage again. This is, this is what Israel or Judah was like a minute before bondage. Oh, how long, O oh Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Lord, save New Zealand, do a miracle, things are going downhill. This is what he was saying about Judah. Violence is everywhere, crime rates are going up. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Moral values are going down in Judah. Uh, must I watch all of this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. This wasn't by the Babylonians. This was caused by civil society collapse within Judah. Are you with me? This is, this is actually a society that was actually imploding from within. I am surrounded by people. These are, these are the people of Judah's society that, 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 who love to argue and fight. Marriage breakdown, fighting, parents against children, children against parents. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there in the last years before the Babylonian invasion. The law has become paralyzed. The whole legal system of Judah was collapsing. And there is no justice in the courts. We wouldn't believe in corrupt politicians, would we? Not such a thing could exist. Well, they were in Judah's time, corrupt politicians enriching themselves at the people's stake. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. The moral temperature of Judah was at rock bottom. And this was the time of Habakkuk's ministry. And Habakkuk was deeply distressed by the, where the state of Judah was at. He was distressed at the corruption, the rise of evil. And he was crying out to God, God, we need a miracle. What are you doing? And it felt like in this first part of his ministry that God was not answering. So Habakkuk was not apathetic. He was not complacent. He was not joining in on the decline. He was in what I would call godly despair. It's godly despair because he was filled with grief at the hard-hearted hearts, probably of his own family, his own children or grandchildren, and certainly his neighbors around them. He was in despair at the decline of true faith in God. He was in despair at seeing, if you can meet, excuse me, the analogy, of seeing the old friends that he had grown up seeing go to Sunday school or youth group or church and they'd walked away from it all and embraced new moralities. There was corruption and all sorts of things. And it was a grief and a pain at the evil going on. And Habakkuk was not the only one. All of the prophets, most of their ministries were around about five o'clock on the clock between the dependency and bondage just before uh, the Babylonian invasion or the various invasions. Let's read Hosea chapter 2. This is about the northern kingdom. And the she refers to Israel. This is about the wealth that Israel had their abandonment of God, and then, the, and then the bondage that was coming. She didn't realize, she's Israel, that it was I who gave her everything she has. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I gave Israel the silver and the gold, but she gave all of my gifts to Baal, the, the ancient god of fertility. 
But now I will take back the ripened grain, the new wine I generously provided each harvest season. I'll take away the wool, the linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. Wealth, liberty, freedom come from the Lord. What we have as a nation is not guaranteed. Not every nation has it. And for Israel, they had that wealth and they abandoned the Lord and enslavement was coming. So all the prophets have this sort of thing going. I'll just read one more. It's Isaiah chapter 2, warning of judgment. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For the Lord has rejected his people, the descendants of Jacob, because they filled their land with the practices from the east, with the witchcraft, the sorcerers, as the Philistines do. They made alliances with pagans. Israel is full of silver and gold. There's no end of its treasuries. The land of Israel is full of war horses, no end of chariots. And their land is also full of idols. People worship things they have made with their own hands. So now they will be humbled and all will be brought low. Do not forgive them. Crawl into caves in the rocks, hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the glory of his majesty. Human pride will be brought down. Human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on the day of judgment. And so in Isaiah, did you get the, did you get the passage there? It's, it's all the same with the prophets. Wealth, gold, success, favor. We have made it without God. Abandoned God, worshiping other gods. And what was God saying was coming on the clock, invasion and judgment on the cycle of nations. So first, we had a look at the cycle of nations through the, through the lens of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Secondly, we're placing Habakkuk's ministry, the book of Habakkuk, and I'm placing it at 5.59. And at 6 o'clock on the dot, the Babylonians are going to be turning up. And it isn't going to be a great party for, for Judah. So lastly, and because of time, very briefly, what is our response? What about New Zealand? Well, firstly, in relation to New Zealand or anyone listening on podcast from another nation, welcome. I just want to say only the Lord knows the future of this nation or any nation. Only the Lord knows the future of New Zealand. Don't look to me to know the future of this nation because I don't. You know, you might think that New Zealand has abandoned God. So you think, well, we're at 559 as well. That's how I feel in my head. I think, wow, it's not looking good when I look around about society. But may I suggest this? Only God knows the future. And as I read history, there have been times when nations should have been judged and instead God sent a merciful revival of Christian faith. I think of France and I think of England. Right, in France, they massacred the Huguenots, those Bible-believing Christians. And the aristocracy in France, they were greedy, corrupt. They were evil as can be. Now, if you go across the ditch to England at the time, do you think the nobility of Britain were God-fearing, God-honoring, generous souls who just loved the poor people? No, <laughs> they weren't. They were the same. And they deserved judgment just as much as any other nation on the planet. But actually, with England, God raised up Whitfield. He raised up Wesley, Lord Shaftesbury, Wilberforce, John Newton. There was a revolution. It was a revolution of hymns. The hymns at the first service are actually hymns that are brought out of revival that changed English society. Amazing grace. 
This stuff changed the world. Hundreds of thousands of missionaries left England and Britain and changed the world. And social justice and compassion did come to the poor, but it came through peaceful means, through God touching human hearts, not through the power of the guillotine, which happened in France. And then the last revival in England was the 1907-8 revival in Wales. And the mines were filled with the songs of praise. And the donkeys, with the mules that were used for the coal, no longer moved because previously they'd been abused and sworn at all the time and didn't know how to handle gentle, kind behavior from the miners. And so that, that God can do anything. But may I suggest... That God, that we do not necessarily deserve a revival. And God alone knows our future. So whatever our future looks like, I do sense this, a sense of urgency here this morning, my friends. I hope that your hearts have not been too hardened to look at this. I hope there's been at least a little sense of unease about where New Zealand society is at. I hope that something of the cycle of nations of what happened to Israel has struck in your hearts about where we are at as a nation and where the church is at nationwide, the apathy, the half-heartedness. I feel a sense of urgency. We need to rediscover our love of Jesus Christ, a love of his word and a passion for the truthfulness of his gospel. And that this... And discovering this and in being light and salt, come what may to this nation, we can shine like beacons like Habakkuk did. So pray against spiritual apathy, pride, complacency, half-heartedness. And if the Lord has blessed you with wealth, with farms, with assets, doubly watch out. Because that is often the first signs right then if you're not guarding your heart. Let Jesus Christ be the, your all in all. Even if you lost everything else, as long as you have Jesus, let that be enough. This is what is needed. Pray for this nation. And if New Zealand enters a difficult season in the years ahead, the bottom of the clock in whatever form, and perhaps the most difficult this nation has ever been through in the history of this nation, remember this. The God of nations is in charge of the clock. He is in charge of this nation, and he has borne you for such a generation as this. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we start our summer and spring series in Habakkuk, we pray that the message of the prophets at a time of Israel and Judah's decline into bondage, we pray that this message would resound here in New Zealand and the hearts of Geraldine. And wherever people are listening, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.